Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Long Night with Vish Khanna was recorded on Friday, April 10th, 2015. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Long Night at the Transact for the Spirit Festival. How's your Spirit Festival going so far? Nice. Um, I'm very honored that uh, we were asked to bring our show here. I have to confess, uh, prior to the invitation, I had not heard of the Spur Festival. And I felt really ignorant about that because it seems amazing. But then when I talked to people I know from Toronto and I'd say, hey, do you guys, do you know about the Spur Festival? Literally everyone responded with, I'm sorry, what'd you say? There's a sperm festival now? Who's playing that? Kendrick Lamar? Is Kendrick Lamar playing that? K-Dot's playing all the festivals. I, uh, I'm actually in a really good mood because I just discovered my new favorite place to go for delicious cappuccinos, and they're only $1.99. The name of this place? Costco. <laughs> it's always a bad sign when you order something from someone and their response to your order is shock. Like I walked up to the woman working at the Costco commissary and uh, she didn't even look at me. She was just like staring at her cash register, you know, and she said, uh, not even looking at me, she's like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a cappuccino. And her head exploded. She was like, what? And then she kind of looked me up and down, and then she kind of looked behind her to the side to where I presume the seldom used Costco cappuccino machine 
sort of resides. And she just, all she said to me when she looked back at me was, that'll be seven minutes. <laughs> when someone in the service industry tells you how long the thing that you asked for is gonna take unprompted, what they're really telling you is they don't wanna help you with that thing. They're hoping you will leave, basically. That'll be seven minutes is the equivalent of like, Jesus, man, I don't want to make that crap for you. Can you just leave me alone, please? I used to work at a place and the food options weren't that great. And so as a treat, every Friday, I would walk down to the mall for exercise and I would visit uh, one of our Canadian pizza chains. Um, now, in the course of telling this story, I don't want to say anything that offends them or uh, you know, subjects me to any litigation. So. I'm not gonna divulge their full name, but for the purposes of this story, let's call them Pizza, 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 okay? So <laughs> once a week I would go to Pizza, Pizza, Pizza because they had this gourmet line of pizzas. And one of them was called the Pesto Amore. Does anyone remember the Pesto Amore? No one, that's good. You're a good, healthy eating crowd. I like the Pesto Amore. It had roasted red peppers, it had pesto, goat cheese, and spinach. And, you know, as far as pizzas goes, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. But every time I ordered it, I got a little bit of attitude. I gather that it was a bit difficult for them to make this particular kind of pizza. So one, sometimes I'd go and they'd be sold out and I'd say, uh, can you make another pesto amore? And they'd be like, Ugh. well, it, it'll be at least seven minutes. And I'd go, that's fine. I don't have a lot going on with my life. I can wait. That's fine. One time I went and they didn't have any. And I said, uh, can you make another pesto amore? And the guy went, there's, uh, no, we're not making those today. <laughs> I went, oh, what? why not? He's like, uh, we're, we're out of spinach. I went, oh, that's a bummer. Uh, well, I can just go to the grocery store and get a bag of spinach for you guys. I, no skin off my nose. I really want the pizza. And you know, wisely, the kid was like, we don't just take spinach off the street and put it on our pizza and give it to everybody. That's weird. So I was so perturbed by this that I walked out of the pizza, pizza, pizza. And there's a payphone in the mall. Does anyone remember what a payphone is? Yeah. Older crowd. That's great. I get on the payphone and I call the pizza, pizza, pizza hotline, which takes you to a call center, not the location. And I say, uh, yeah, order a medium amore, and I want to pick it up at the mall. And the woman goes, great, that'll be ready in 20 minutes, sir. And I went, are you sure? It's not going to be any problems, <laughs> complications with this order? You sure about this? She's like, no, be fine, 20 minutes, you can pick it up. Walk around the mall for 20 minutes. Walk back into the pizza pizza. All of the employees see me as I walk in. They're all ashamed, their heads are hanging down. I go up to the counter, it's the same kid. And he's, he's there, dejected, and I go, I'm here for the medium pesto amore. And he goes, yes, sir, I, I'm sorry. We, we had the spinach. And I extended my arms to the boy. I put my hands on his shoulders and I said, I know you did, son. I know you did. Then the little piece of shit wanted to charge me for the pizza. Can you believe this? I didn't pay for that pizza, ladies and gentlemen. I grabbed that medium pizza. I sat down on a table, I ate the whole thing, staring at every employee in that place. That's right, I'm a hero, a pizza hero. Thank you.
I don't know if it was the vintage of the Parmesan or the Spite, but that was a good pizza. Good mix of stuff. Hey, I have a four-year-old boy. Thank you very much. He's great. And he recently wrote a great joke. Do you guys want to hear a joke that my son wrote? One person. Thank you very much. Here's the joke. It involves uh, crowd participation, so let's all get ready for this. Knock, knock. Who's there? Wait, has he told you this joke? You guys heard this joke already? Okay, let's try this again. Knock, knock. Who's there? The chicken. Chicken who crossed the road. <laughs> Do you see what my son did with that joke? He took the why did the chicken cross the road joke, turned it into a knock-knock joke. That is comedic efficiency. In fact, none of you are aware of it, but my son just saved us all seven minutes. <laughs> hey, we got a great show for you tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have an excellent show for you. We have great guests. Uh, Rachel Giza, journalist Rachel Giza is here. We have a new novelist, a brand new novelist. What does that mean? Well, she just put out her first novel. It's coming out this month. Sabrina Ramnanan is here as well from Ontario. All the way from Washington, D.C., Daniel Shulman is here. Dan Shulman, how about a hand for him? And we have a performance by Lee Reed, who, by the way, is celebrating his record release tonight in Hamilton right after this show. That is dedication. Yeah. Now, before I, uh, we're going to take a break in a second. Did anyone uh, here mention to you that we're about to play a game that involves a couple of audience members? Did anyone, I feel like, did you mention it, Michael? I forgot. Okay, we need a man and a woman, and then again, a man and a woman. We need two pairs of men and women. We're gonna take a commercial. Does anyone want to, you're raising your hands? Okay, Owell is gonna gather you up. Not literally, he's gonna gather you up for the game, and then we'll play the game after this commercial break. Say hello to the bicycles. Thanks for being here, everybody. Nice to see you. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Still Alice. It follows Seymour, an introduction, and more. This week at the E-Bar, the Galacticats, Fast Romantics, and Torero play a show on Friday, April 17th. And on Sunday, April 19th at Harcourt United Church, Michael Harris reads from Party of One about Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and this country's radical makeover. Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Back, we're back at Long Night, everybody. How are you doing? How are you doing, Spur Festival? You good? <laughs> nice to see you. All right, are we all set? Okay, now, the name of the game, we're going to meet our contestants in just a moment. We're going to pair you off so that you're competing against one another. I like to do uh, man versus woman because I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> I'm not really that old-fashioned. I just, I don't know why. We just like to do that. Okay, so the name of the game is Celebrity Impressions on the Spot. Celebrity Impressions on the Spot. And the way the game works is 
We're going to draw names from this hat, and we're going to do our best to do an impression of the person based on our recognition of the name. So you can capture, ideally it's a vocal impression. We actually need microphones for these people, if we have any. Owell's going to get you one. James, you can have this one. We'll meet this gentleman first. What's your name, sir? Mark. Mark, nice to meet you. Where are you from? Thornhill. Thornhill. Really? Cheers for Thornhill. What's it like in Thornhill? Oh, it's a beautiful town. Okay, well that's why people are cheering. That's good. What do you do, Mark? Uh, uh, several different jobs. Okay, very secretive. That's fine. That's great. And what's your name? Heather. Heather, thank you very much for being here. Heather, where are you from? Ottawa. Oh, are you here for the Spur Festival from Ottawa? Yes. Did anything in particular bring you here? Yeah, to speak. <laughs> oh, you're speaking. Yeah, I spoke last night. We got a speaker up here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Heather, how did your talk go? It went well, thank you. And what was the subject? Alone together. Alone together, that sounds very nice. All right, well, Mark and Heather, you're going to face each other in this contest, and the winner receives a complimentary long night with Vishkana Mug. Now, mine says host, yours will not. Yours will say guest. So, why don't we get, uh, Mark, you're holding the microphone. Heather, do you mind drawing a name from this hat? Okay, now you want me to, yeah, I'll take it, I'll take it. Okay, here we, oh man, we had this once before. You need to do an impression of a tornado. Well, Mark just stepped right in there, wow. How about a hand for Mark, everybody? I feel like Mark was waiting to do that impression his entire life. It's amazing. Nice job. All right, Heather, same deal. Oh, I neglected to mention, because we're a little disorganized, by sh we're going to pick the winner by show of applause. So when you're done, we'll, we'll poll the audience. So Heather, it's up to you now to do your impression of a tornado. There is actually some pressure. I was going to say no pressure, but you saw what Mark did, so good luck. Mm, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Very well done. Heather kicking it up a notch. That's interesting. All right. All right, by show of applause, who thinks that Mark had the best tornado? All right. And what about Heather? I think that Mark won. Okay, Mark, congratulations. Thank you for playing the game. You win a mug. Oh, well, we'll give it to you. Uh, Heather, if you can pass the microphone on, that would be great. Oh, there's your mug right there in handy box form. Thank you very much. All right. There we go. Well, that was fun. A tornado. All right, uh, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Samantha. Hi, Samantha. Where are you from? I am from the States. I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, cool. What brings you here to speak, I presume? Uh, <laughs> I'm one of the public fellows. And I go to school at the Monk School of Global Affairs. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing in Toronto. Oh, nice. Well, welcome to Toronto. Sure. From Philadelphia. Yeah. And what's your name? My name's Carl. Carl? Yeah. And what do you do, Carl? I am retired. I've uh, been a counselor, a uh, marriage counselor, for many decades. And now I'm not. In Toronto? In Toronto, yeah. So which mayors did you work with? <laughs> not those kinds of counselors. Oh, okay. I think I understand. Not very bright on the uptake. Okay. 
All right, uh, so we have uh, Samantha and Carl. Okay, so uh, we're going to draw the name here, and uh, Carl, why don't you do it? Choose your fate here. I'm going I'm to read it to make sure it's legit. Okay, here we go. The Ultimate Warrior. Are you familiar with The Ultimate Warrior? No. Okay, and you, Samantha? I, I just thought it was a Ultimate Warrior. A fair assessment. I think based on the fact that you don't know... Neither of you. Okay, let's try someone else. Let's try someone else. Something else. All right, this time Samantha. Oh, this is interesting. Amy Winehouse. That's a hard one. That is a hard one. Is there any way you, either of you, do you know who Amy Winehouse is? Excellent, then we're going to play. All right, so uh, who wants to go first here? Carl or Samantha? Do you guys know any Amy Winehouse? No, we don't know any rehab? Okay, that's fine. All right, Carl, you've uh, got the microphone. Just do your best. Everybody, give him a round of applause and show us support. No, I I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can't do Amy Winehouse. I know who she is. Do you know, do you know any know, songs? No. Okay. I mean, only randomly. Okay. And I cannot sing. Well, if, if you could capture her essence in just a sentence, what would you say? What do you think Amy Winehouse would say? if she um, were alive, first of all, and yeah. also on stage. It, it was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened. Very nice. How about a hand for Carl? Okay. I think that's adequate. That's good. All right, Samantha. You want me to hold the... She's a singer, so you need the microphone, don't you? Oh, wow. So this is uh, uh, for a podcast as well. So I'm just going to do a play-by-play -play here. Uh, Samantha is tying up her hair in an Amy Winehouse style. Behind it looks pretty good. And do you need the microphone now? And okay. This is what I got. I'm not a very good singer. But you guys want to help? Is this the impression? Go very good. That's just go, go, yeah. Go. All right. <laughs> All right, I think that uh, we're going to have to do a little poll here now. Who thinks Carl won the Amy Whitehouse? You're a good crowd. You're a kind audience. Who thinks Samantha won? All right, Samantha, congratulations. You win yourself a mug. James has it for you. It's encased in cardboard for easy transportation. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for playing this round of celebrity impressions on the spot. Carl and Samantha, how about a hand for all our contestants? We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, Rachel Giza will join us. Thank you very much. If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash creative control with two K's. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. 
but I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. I thought we were back, but I... Oh, there we are. We're back on Long Night, everybody. Hello. Nice to see you all. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I was just going to say, how about another round of applause for our contestants and celebrity impressions on the spot? I got to say, that was a a tough round. Uh, uh, James Keast is my sidekick. How about a hand for James Keast? We, it's like a road game. It is. We moved right across town. We normally do this show November to March as part of the Long Winter Festival at the Great Hall. And it's nice to be out of a basement yeah. in a nice... The band likes it. <laughs> it's nice to be here. It's very nice to be here. We're very honored that we get to be here at the Spur Festival. So thank you for having us. And as I say, we have a good show. I think that uh, we should bring out our first guest. Do you have anything else Let's you want to say about the contest or anything? I know you don't like it. No, I thought, it, I thought it was good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Our first guest is a National Magazine Award-nominated journalist who was a senior editor at The Walrus and a deputy editor at The Grid. She's also worked for CBC and guest-hosted radio programs mm-hmm. like Q and Day 6. Please put your hands together for Rachel Gza. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you guest-hosted Q. Yeah, Yeah. you're going to go right there. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to go right there. Well, you guest-hosted during their search for a new host, which I I found that all very exciting and fascinating. What was the experience like for you? Um, I mean, I I had worked at Q in the fall before the fall, so I, uh, I was one of the uh, essay writers for the opening essay writers for Gion. So I had sort of been around when that had happened and then got brought back to guest host. So it was, uh, it was also, I found it fascinating as well, <laughs> that process of, do you, of do looking you, for Do you have host. a broadcasting background per se? Um, a little bit of one. I've worked in television, I've worked in radio, oh, okay. worked in print, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I worked on Q yes. for a little bit, and uh, well before the fall, and I don't know, I just found that, like, did you feel like you were auditioning for that job while you No, were... it was pretty clear they didn't want me for the job, so <laughs> I, was, I was, I think I was a bit of a warm body for a period of time, because I think what they wanted... Um, I think that they wanted somebody who, I, you know, I'm a journalist, and I think what they wanted was someone who was a, like a comedian or a performer or an artist. Right. And so I think that they, I mean, there was a whole bunch going on behind the scenes, and then there were a bunch of us that were there who were, you know, filling in and, yeah. and at the CBC. So Did you want the job? I was interested in the job, but it wasn't it wasn't something that I I mean there were <laughs> in lots of t- lots of times when I was there it just felt like I I kind of had snuck in it felt a little bit <laughs> like I, there was going to be like a hook that was going to pull me out of the, out of Studio Q. Um, you so, felt like an imposter vaguely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a it's a weird it, it was a really weird time because I don't think any Canadian media institutions had been 
rocked the way they had been rocked by what happened yeah, with Xi'an. Yeah. So um, I think that people, and then there were also, there was a change up top, there were all these layoffs happening at the CBC, so I think it was a really, uh, it was a really weird time to be there. And I think that the producers were all, they were great, they were amazing, and uh, amazing professionals, but um, I think that they just felt under the spotlight and exhausted, and um, it was it was a really weird. I didn't time. really envy anyone in your position. Okay, first of all, I kind of wanted that job. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> I didn't envy anyone in those guest host positions. It just didn't. Yeah. Even the and I knew because working as a producer mm. on that show, like to have to, you end up writing in the voice of the host, and so just constantly have these this parade of new people coming in. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I imagine they just threw up their mm -hmm. hands and just... Well, and also nobody, like, uh, this is a thing. You, I'm, you know, m most of my experience recently has been uh, working at home by myself as a, as a freelancer. So suddenly to be in the, in the public eye and to uh, have people assess you in that kind of way was, uh, was it's something. It's really weird. And, you know, people would, and just sort of, uh, sort of, you know, and I really didn't, I mean, people were generally kind or, or they just didn't care <laughs> about me. So I sort of either got crickets or people being kind of pleasant. How many, um, did you do a week or two weeks? I did two weeks. Two weeks. That's more weeks. than a lot of people did. Yeah. Again, I think, <laughs> I think that they just didn't know I was there. <laughs> they just kept forgetting that I was in the seat and they just kept handing me questions and guests would come in. No, no, I'm so sure that's I not think the case. that I think that, um, uh, it was it was my first experience of just you know people actually you know weighing in on I don't like your voice or I don't oh. like the way you laugh or I didn't like the way you asked that question. Wait, in or, public or like the uh, like the comments meetings? or on Twitter oh. or you know. That's weird. And I think there were also people who would you know um, there were lots of people that were still really mad about what happened right. and so people who felt like the show had been sullied or there was no way to ever fix it or. Um, so it was, it was a very weird, it was great. I mean, I'm grateful and it was lots of fun and I love interviewing people, but it was a, it was a weird. It was a strange. It was, yeah, it was, and it was, it was, you know, I think a lot of people were really sad. I think it was a really, you know, I think people felt under scrutiny and I think they felt worried about their jobs. Yeah. They felt worried about what was happening. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you make of their decision to hire Shad? I, th I, I think Shad's amazing. I, you know, I think that he's, um, he is smart and funny and warm and um, he I think that you know he's got this this lovely ease um, and I think that people there are really excited about him yeah. I don't know him um, but he's a, he's uh, a friend of mine he's, yeah. he's actually honestly one of the best people I've met in this Canadian music industry like yeah nicest hardest working absolutely smartest. yeah absolutely yeah. and I think that I think that um, you know I've heard from some of the producers there who talk about the fact that he's this like lovely calming presence that he actually has brought this sense of leadership and calm and I think that that's that's what people there need yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I still wanted that job last year <laughs> <laughs> well you're a maybe you could no, you know no, no. maybe they need a, like a co-host or you know I did meet with them but anyway I'm here I'm doing the show it's fine I, I feel do you want to talk some more about no that? no because, I don't actually I do want to move know? on yeah okay. sorry I you were on the show. I'm fascinated. I'm so, yeah, no, you could have. I mean, for this country, it's like if you guest host, it's not the same. But if you were like on Letterman, I'd be like, dude, you were on Letterman. That's crazy. Like that's yeah. a big talk show. So yeah, no, I was. It was. This great. is a small talk show. I'm just curious. I would have chosen you too. I don't know why they didn't have you. I don't know. You're very lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I no, you're that. very lovely. No, no, no. I would have had you there too. Oh, See. <laughs> 
Lexi. Those listening on the podcast, the applause sign went up. So, <laughs> last year, the Walrus published a widely read piece of yours called "The Talk," yeah. and uh, it's this revealing account of the evolution of sex education and gender studies, uh, particularly as it relates to young men. Um, First of all, what compelled you to explore this? It's very interesting. Yeah, um, I think in part, I've got an 11-year-old son, so in part it was um, you know, raising a boy at a time when people are talking about uh, you know, rape culture and consent and, and you know, raising good young men and, and, and how do we talk to boys about sex and how do we talk to boys about about these kinds of issues. And, uh, and so I was curious, and, and also just the question of sex ed. I mean, I'm very pro-sex ed in our schools, yeah. but it's a really, I mean, not so much in Canada, but certainly in the US, it's an you know, enormous wedge issue. And um, I found out about this program in Calgary called Wise Guys, where uh, a group of young guys, guys in their 20s, um, go in and work with boys who are in grade nine and spend an entire year teaching them sex ed. And it's not just sex ed, but it's about, you know, as one of the boys put it to me, it's about how not to be a jerk. So it's basically a program in teaching young men about better communication, improving friendships, consents, um, you know, porn literacy. So it's... Uh, relating to homosexual lifestyles, re like just relating to people yeah. in a way beyond... Well, it was, I mean, one of the things that came out of it was, so there's this, uh, it's kind of like, you know, the, sort of Calgary's version of like Planned Parenthood, uh, the Calgary Sexual Health Center. And um, they had been around for 30 years and they realized that they didn't actually have any programming for men, mm -hmm. and so they thought it was, you know, the, and they and they realized that as much as they had, they'd seen um, teenage pregnancy rates go down, but they had seen sexually transmitted infections go up. So they realized that there was something that was missing, and the, the thing that was missing was they weren't talking to boys. And a lot, any sex ed experts will say that uh, young heterosexual males are the most overlooked demographic when it comes to talking candidly and frankly and about sex. So there's this group in, in Calgary uh, that does this, that talks, that engages young men in these, and, and you know, it's not the kind of sort of hectoring conversation where it's saying to these young boys, like, you're bad and you're wrong, and it's more talking to them about, you know, this is, it, it actually talks to them, and it, it talks to them very honestly um, about, about sex and sexuality. Yeah, so. and was that, so was that your primary takeaway from this investigation, is that, there are these inroads being made with these. I mean, this is one group in Calgary. Yeah. Did you find that this was going on across the country or elsewhere? No. I mean, the thing is, it's not happening elsewhere. Uh, and, um, you know, it's interesting. There was, an, there was a story in, I think, the New York Times Magazine a couple weeks ago about a program like this in, uh, in the U.S. It's in a small, small, uh, you know, it's a, it's a paid program. So it's mm -hmm. like a, an extracurricular program that people could pay for. But it was interesting because it was happening in light of the curriculum changing here, the curriculum changing in Ontario. And I think it had been, I, think, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but I mean the sex ed curriculum in, in Ontario hadn't changed for over 10 years. So you had teachers trying Since to- Since 1998, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so maybe it's so longer. Yeah. So you know that predated um, you know, smartphones and schools. Right. That pre so that you know. So I think that it was trying to talk to kids about sex 
that didn't take any context of their, their lives in. And so, you know, we'd seen the cases in Steubenville, we'd seen the case with Retea Parsons, um, and it's like, how do you actually talk to kids about how to behave responsibly sexually in a way that wasn't like abstinence, in a way that wasn't like telling kids just not to have sex? Yeah, the, the incidents you're describing involved sexual assaults, and a lot of what I took away from what was going on in Calgary with Wise Guys was a lot of it's about respect, self-respect and respecting others. And um, I don't think that was actually brought up when I was a kid. Somebody just sit. James. We put on our masks. Yeah, it's the eyes wide shut moment of the show. Tom Cruise walks in. I was trying to have a nice solemn moment, and someone butt pianoed. Clearly. In your piece, you mentioned that Middlesex University of England uh-huh. released a report entitled, basically, dot, 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 porn is everywhere. <laughs> yes. And basically, it is. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to ask, we were kind of uh-huh. touching upon this. How do you suppose the internet has impacted sexualization and sex ed for young people? I think the answer is probably pretty obvious, except that the relationship between porn and sex education is what you kind of delve into. It's a Right. Well, I think that porn has supplanted sex education for a lot of young people. So I think the the access that that kids have to images, um, and not just sort of you know straight up porn, but just the fact that pop culture in general has loosened up a lot, yeah. and so stuff that was available, video and games, think, everything. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know like. When I was growing up, maybe it was probably saying when you were growing up, you know, maybe somebody's dad had a Playboy lying around, and that's what you would see, and that's a completely different, a completely different um, terrain for kids now. And um, so there was this massive survey of research about the impact of porn on kids that was done in England as part of a uh, part of a bigger project about child exploitation. So these were people who were they were they were looking to find out bad stuff about porn. They couldn't find anything conclusive that said you know po- porn is you know poisoning the minds of kids or anything like that. But what they what they did find was that kids were increasingly turning to porn because adults would not talk to them honestly about sex. So, you know, groups like Wise Guys, which I was really impressed by, don't say to kids, porn is bad. They don't say to these young men, it's terrible, don't look at it, it's awful. They say, okay, so you look at porn, so what do you make of it? Like, do you think that's what girls look like? Do you think that's what you'd want? Do you, what do you, you know? And so instead of telling boys something is bad, they actually talk, and I think that kids are craving somebody to say to them, so, you know, and also, you know, one of the things that's interesting even about the Ontario sex ed curriculum is that there's still a punitive, like there's still a sort of a, the approach to sex ed is still, here are all the bad, like, so we're gonna teach you about sex, but here are all the terrible consequences yeah. of sex. Like, this, this is how you'll get pregnant, you'll get raped, you'll get an STI. And I think that this sex ed program actually says to kids the truth, which is sex is fun and it's fantastic. And that's, the pr- that's where it starts. So this is how you can do it responsibly. This yeah. is how you can do it respectfully. So that, and, and I just, there's nothing, there's really very, well, there's not, nothing out there, but there's very little else like that out there. Yeah, no. Now you're working on a book. Uh, th- this article basically 
you, it's going to branch off into a book, yeah. so to speak. Um, can you talk a little bit about what shape the book is taking and, and what the timeline is on it? Yeah, so I'm working on a book right now. I'm hoping to have it done early next year. And it's about, it sort of branches off from this. So it's about boyhood and masculinity and the way that boys, like sort of like boys now, um, think about what it's like to be a man. Because, you know, in the last, you know, particularly in the last decade, um, there's been a real revolution in how we think about masculinity and femininity, um, the roles that men and women have. Um, you know, in, in lots of ways, this book is a bit of a... a uh, Hannah Rosen came out with a book last, last two years ago, The End of Men and the Rise of Women, about looking at the fact that men and women's fates have, have changed right. a lot. And, um, and I was sort of curious about, you know, what it's like. And I, again, I'm raising an 11-year-old boy, so I'm curious about you know, when he thinks about what he's gonna grow up and what his life is gonna look like and what it means to be a man, what is what is that? Because it feels like so many of the old rules are out the window. Well, it does seem like the death of the single white male is upon us, if that makes any sense. No offense, single white. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Where's the gloomy piano now? <laughs> but it does. Yeah. I think there are single white men talking about this, like it's difficult to be a single white male all of a sudden. and. I think that's great, but <laughs> a lot of them aren't really keen about it. Well, I think that it's, yeah, I mean, I think that the conversation has been framed as a zero-sum game, and I don't think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that any time somebody who's had a lot of power and other people start to have more power as well, they've got to give up some of that yes. power. Um, and I also think, though, when you think about, so I think a lot of the conversation about, you know, the kind of hand-wringing and the pearl-clutching about, you know, boys are failing in schools because schools are too feminized. I'm not as concerned about that, but I do think that we've seen, you know, particularly, like, when I think about, like, the many ways in which, you know, you can see what's happening. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Not just uh, in the U.S., but here in Toronto with carding, the kinds of you know, young men of color who are disproportionately targeted by police. Um, you know, uh, boys are disproportionately suspended and expelled at school, more so than girls, particularly right. young men of color. So there are lots of like, very legitimate ways that boys are, a particular class of boys, are being you know, left behind. And I'm sort of curious about what the fates of those boys are. Well, uh, it's very fascinating. I can't wait, wait to read this book. Everyone here can follow Rachel Giza on Twitter at Rachel A. Giza, and it's Rachel. You know how to spell Rachel. A, the letter A, and then Giza is G-I-E-S-E. -E, exactly right. Which is, what is that? What is the origin of your name? My dad's German. German? Yes. All right. <laughs> 
Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank Rachel Giza, everyone. Thank you. After uh, these messages, we'll be right back with Sabrina Ramanan. Stay where you are. Thank you very much. The 32nd Annual Hillside Festival takes place July 24th, 25th, and 26th at Guelph Lake, Rain or Shine, featuring performances by Astral Swans, Bad Bad Not Good, Badminton Racket, Baskery, Battle of Santiago, Braids, The Brothers Landreth, Bulgarian Voices Trio, By Divine Right, Tim Chasen, Nels Klein Singers, Constantines, Nick Crane, Alex Cuba, Daka Braca, Del Bell, Doldrums, Echo Deck, Darren Edens, Eloquent, Etiquette, Nick Ferrio, Jeremy Fisher, Frazy Ford, David Francie, The Good Lovelies, Great Lake Swimmers, Ash Grunwald, Hungai, The Henrys, Suzanne Jarvie, Mo Kenny, The Cramdens, Daniel Lanois, Last X, Lee Reed, Lids, Look Vibrant, Le Luc, Minotaurs, Moonface, The Once, Nancy Pants, Doug Paisley, Fred Penner, Perch Creek, Poor Man's Whiskey, Natalie Prass, The Spring Standard, Jamie Stone's Lomax Project, Sultans of String, Team, Thus Owls, Tribekistan, Riley Walker, The Weather Station, Jason Wilson and Pee Wee Ellis, and more to be announced. For more information about purchasing tickets to this accessible event, please visit hillsidefestival.ca. We're back on the show. We've uh, hit a couple of bumps and bruises in this new uh, venue. James, do you have a mic yet? Oh, man. I came back from the commercial a bit early. Oh, well, do we have a microphone for James? It's weird that my sidekick doesn't have a microphone. Max is into it in the audience. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. All right, we'll get uh, James a microphone. I'm going to introduce our next guest, uh, who is an Ontario-based author who won the 2012 Marina Nimat Award by the University of Toronto School of Continuing Education creative writing program, and her work has appeared in journals known for presenting post-colonial and diasporic perspectives. Her debut novel is out this month via Knopf. It's called Nothing Like Love, and we're happy she could be here with us tonight. Please say hello to Sabrina Ramnanan, everybody. All right, Sabrina, nice to see you here. How's it going? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is a rather complex. Do you? Does, I wrote Shakespearean. Do, does, does that bother you that I wrote that? Because white men suck. We decided that <laughs> earlier. But it's like a Shakespearean love story, I would say. Somebody else said that. Oh, they well, did. Yeah. Was it a white person? Am uh, I? My agent, who was white. Oh, your agent. <laughs> All right. There you go. Sorry to make things uncomfortable, but no. <laughs> No, there's meddling parents, there's star-crossed lovers, there's gossip and conspiracies, and uh, it's primarily said in Trinidad and Tobago, like all of Shakespeare's works. Um, <laughs> what inspired you to write this book? Well, I love Trinidad, and I've been traveling to Trinidad for holidays for so many, all my life, actually, and my dad has been telling me these amazing stories about Trinidad all my life, and there's just something so compelling and romantic about the island that I just had to write a book about it. Were you born in Canada? I was born in Canada, yeah. Okay, and your parents are? They're Trinidadian. Trinidad, okay. Were your, are, you, are, are your parents here tonight? They're not here tonight, no. Okay, no. are they still in Canada? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Were your parents weird? 
my parents are very weird, but they're weird and wonderful, as most immigrant parents are. I thought my parents were weird. Yeah. They are weird. Yeah. They're kind of always weird. And I, but I couldn't decide if it was a cultural issue. Like, initially, I'm like, oh, they don't understand things because of the culture, but I think they're just weird. Like, I no, think they're, they're probably just weird. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. But... Well, I'll give you an example. Sure, you give me an example. I want to hear about this. So my mom is obsessed with cleanliness, and she likes to talk about it constantly, but she also travels quite a bit because she's now retired, as my dad is also retired, so they go away quite a bit together. But every time she comes home from a holiday, she insists on coming over and telling me about how unclean other people's places are or the hotels that she stayed in. And, and she'll say it like this, Brina, you must make sure your kitchen is clean and you must make sure your bathroom is clean because if people come over and it's ain't clean, they could think you're nasty. Oh, wow. <laughs> Weird, like I kind of felt like your mother was here all of a sudden. <laughs> I never met her, but I feel like I know her very well. That was... Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Do you feel that certain people seem to have a ceaseless hunger for stories from a foreign or immigrant's perspective? When I say certain people, I mean the You mean white people. Because yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I sometimes, you know, over the years, people will be like, hey, Vish, why do you write a book about your family? I'm like, what's your angle here? What do you think it's going to be? Like, they just look at me, and I think, they you see my name, they're like, we should get that guy to write a book. I'm like, you sons of bitches, really? <laughs> No, do you feel like, do you ever feel like that? Yeah, because there's something compelling about being exotic, and we are exotic. We bring exotic food. I'm not that exotic. I'm the whitest person I know. Well, <laughs> you look exotic because well, you have brown skin, and you come from it. Where are you from? You're Indian, right? <sighs> no, oh, should I not have said that? It's a little racist. I'm no, sorry. I, uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah, my parents are from India. Yeah. Right? Yeah. See? Right? And it's such a rich culture. They're weird. <laughs> And there's so much to learn about that culture, right? And so yeah. that's why people are obsessed with stories from other places. I'm also obsessed with stories from other places. Have you I been to Trinidad? Several times. Several times. Yes. Did you for the for the book primarily, or did you been? No, all my life I've been well, going. Okay. Yes, but I did actually go when I was in the middle of writing the novel because I wanted to immerse myself in the culture. Yes. Okay. Because I've only been to India once. Oh. In 1989, I was 12. You are pretty I'm, white then. Well, I am. <laughs> I found India to be like Gerard Street on steroids. That's what I thought <laughs> the whole time. I'm like, I know this is very familiar, but I don't like it. How do we get out of this neighborhood? That's the whole time I was there. Really? I didn't like it. I was no, 12. No. I couldn't wait to get home. Really? <laughs> Sorry. I find that disappointing. I Whatever am disappointed in myself when every in, day. When in Rome, when in India. When in India. I want to go back. Sort you of. should. You need to now. Because <laughs> I said that? You just shared this with yeah, public. I do. Yeah, I should go back. You're yeah. right. You're right. Um, I did, when I called that pizza, 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 I assumed the call was rooted to India. So I do, <laughs> I'm in touch with them. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> that's where they go. You guys think. When I was doing my uh, English degrees in university, I always had at least a faint notion that some form of cultural appropriation or tokenism was at play the whole time I was there. To keep my sanity, I relegated this to the back of my mind, because otherwise I'd lose my mind uh, being paranoid. Did you ever feel self-conscious about why some people might want to hear the stories by people like us? Like, I know we just talked about this, but like, you went through school and you've won awards and all this stuff. Did you ever feel weird? No, I never felt self-conscious about why people wanted to hear stories about me. 
But I did feel self-conscious about writing, about being an Indo-Caribbean and writing about being an Indo-Caribbean because I always felt either not Indian enough or not Caribbean enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you're in this weird zone. In the middle, right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a bit of a limbo, right? And I always feel like we're not quite accepted in the South Asian community because we don't have the language anymore. Yes. Anymore, right? I used to have it, and I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a different case altogether. You should still have the language. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Probably should uh, work on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have generations uh, that are from Trinidad, and so Bhojpuri is gone, which is what is the language that we would have spoken. Yeah. And so because of that, we lose status in the in the South Asian community, and then we're obviously not black, so we don't have, the, you know, we can't we can't identify completely with the Afro. Um, Caribbean community. But you've told this story that's primarily set in the 70s. It's not even your right. generation. No, it's not. I wasn't born in the 70s. Which is interesting because on some level I assume that these stories are dying. If people like you and I and other people don't write these stories, they're going to die out. And your first foray is to write a book that isn't really about your perspective. At all. I mean, it's something you've probably ingrained, but you're writing about a period that you weren't really around yeah. for. I'm, I, I wrote about that period because it's the period that my dad told me most of his uh, stories yeah. from. And also, I'm also writing about a very tiny village, and time moves slowly in this village. So when I was there in the 80s, it's really like being there in 1974. It's not that, it wasn't that much sure. different at the time. So my experiences are in that book. Okay. Also. Yeah. Okay. How has the book been received among um, your peers and within your cultural community? Uh, or, I mean, again, it's... It's really new. It, it hasn't it's really only been out for circulated. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So maybe, no, you have no real sense yet? Well, um, my friends like it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have to say they like it, but it's... Are it's, your friends here tonight? No, but my husband is here, and my publicist is here. Nice. And they're both very lovely people, and they like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're saying that your publicist likes your book? Is that what you just said? Yeah. <laughs> Put an awkward, awkward position for him if he <laughs> was trying to shill the book and hated it. <laughs> okay, all right. No, but it's been received very, very well. No, it's yeah. great. I hope people pick it up. But what's next for you beyond this? Uh, well, I'm working on something else in my mind right now because I don't have a lot of time to write because I'm in You're the promoting, be promoting stages. Yeah, and I have right. a little boy at home also, so my time is divided. Okay. Between yeah. And are you doing other stuff at Spurfest, or is this it? No, I'm speaking tomorrow. I hope to God this isn't it <laughs> for you. No, there's breakfast with Sabrina tomorrow. Come out tomorrow morning at Heart House. Heart House at, at 9, I think it's at 9 or 9.30. Okay. Yeah, there's a book bag with Sabrina, and I'll be doing an interview with um, Mark Medley and taking questions from the audience and doing some signings. So if you're around tomorrow morning, come out. This is exciting. I'm glad that like this is probably one of the first things like this that you've done, right? This is the very first thing. Wow, yes. how about a hand yeah. for me? <laughs> No, it's great. Thank you. Congratulations. Uh, once again, Sabrina Remnant's new book is called Nothing Like Love. It's right here. It's out now via Knopf, and it will be celebrated at a book launch on April 14th at 6.30 p.m. at Rum Corner, which is uh, 926 Dundas Street West, yeah. Toronto. I squinted at you like I didn't what? have the information right in front of me. Right. I, I emailed like, it's it written to you down, yesterday. I'm just going like, to yeah. pretend I'm from here, you know, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, you can follow Sabrina on Twitter at Sabrina. Sabrina Ramnanan, which is spelled exactly how it sounds, uh, on Twitter. Best of luck with this book, Sabrina. Thank you very much for being on the show. Another hand for Sabrina, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
When we return, Mother Jones senior editor Dan Shulman will be here. Stick around. Thank you very much. April 18th, United We Stand will send a strong message to Ottawa. The Harper government is trying to ram through Bill C-51. If Bill C-51 becomes law, the federal government can invade your private communications at any time, look at and collect all your stuff without a warrant, and they can share it between different government agencies. They're pushing this anti-terror legislation by whipping up fear of Islam. Knowledgeable Canadians of every political stripe oppose Bill C-51. If you support a Canada where individuals have privacy and governments are held to account, please come, rain or shine, on Saturday, April 18th at 1 p.m. on Carden Street in Guelph in front of Old City Hall. This is a family-friendly, physically accessible event with live music and great speakers. For more information, go to www.stopbillc51.ca and look up Guelph. Freedom is urgency. That's what my dad gave up. Welcome back to Long Night, everyone. Welcome back. We are live tonight at the Spur Festival, away from our long winter home base at the Great Hall. It's very nice to be here. Uh, James, do you have a mic yet? Oh yeah, you can use. Why don't you use Rachel's? Hi, James. I, I'm just here to listen. Well, you're, I you're wanted doing a terrific job, Bish. Thank you. You should host Q. <laughs> you're good. Pretty sure they gave that job to somebody else. Now. Not a white guy, I hope. No, not a white guy. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, everything's fine. Yay. The theme of the night returns. No, James, I wanted to talk to you because we're in a new space. What do you make of all this uh, spare? It's, it's fun. It's weird, but uh, you know, there is, the band isn't on stage. At the other place. So, you um, know the band is on stage tonight, right? Yes, I can hear them behind. Not having some kind of stroke. So it's weird. Yeah, okay. It's kind of freaking me out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's nice. Hi, bicycles, what do you make of all this? Is it good? Yeah, it's nice to be on stage. Yeah, it's nice to have you on stage. It's good. Um, I'd like to once again thank the fine people at the Spur Festival for having us here and letting us uh, take this show across town. How about a hand for the people of the Spur? <laughs> we uh, normally do the show November to March uh, at Long Winter, um, and that's normally all we do, but I, I do have an announcement. Uh, for the second year in a row, Long Night with Vishkana will be presented at the Lanya Vanya Festival in St. John's, Newfoundland this month. Yeah. So if you're around, we'll be doing the show on a Friday, April 24th at the Eastern Edge Gallery in St. John's. Please don't miss that show. <laughs> Thank you. Our next guest is the New York Times bestselling author of this book right here, Sons of Wichita how the Koch brothers became America's most powerful and private dynasty, a biography of the Koch family, which is coming out in paperback this May. He's also a well-respected well investigative journalist and a senior editor in the Washington, D.C. Bureau of the left-leaning and highly reputable American magazine, Mother Jones. He is from America. Let's welcome him the way Canadians like to welcome Americans to our country. Put your hands together for Dan Shulman, everybody. Hi, Dan. Hey. How's it going? It's going well. Now, have you been to uh, Toronto before? First time, actually. 
First time. You gotta put that mic up to your chin. That's how we do things in Canada. That's how we. That's how you do it. Okay. We try to talk into the microphones here. It's okay. the thing we picked up from watching your PBS. We do it differently PBS. in the United States. What's that? I just said we do it differently in America. <laughs> what do you do in the States? Not. Just wave it all around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you you never you've never been to Toronto. First time. Yeah. And you like it? I love it. Um, I actually spend a lot of time in the Boston area, and this really reminds me a lot of Boston. Okay. Still got to talk into that uh, mic there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to keep harping on this. We just want to hear you. Everybody wants to gotcha. hear you. Fine. Now, you were just in the news for a dust-up with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. yeah. Tell us what happened there. I was uh, very <clears throat> intrigued by this. I like this. <laughs> we reported that uh, Bill O'Reilly had been mischaracterizing his war reporting experience. He'd been talking about how he'd been in combat in the Falklands War. Um, when, in fact, he was in Buenos Aires with the rest of the press corps. And his war reporting experience was actually a protest that occurred after the war had ended. Um, and then after that, there were a lot of other stories that came out about him misstating his reporting experiences in El Salvador, in Northern Ireland. Um, he claimed he'd seen terrorists kill people in Northern Ireland. Ireland. It turned out he'd seen photographs of that. Just a lot of lying. <laughs> a lot, a lot of mischaracterizing. Yeah. Why do liars and exhibitionists like O'Reilly and Donald Trump and Ann Coulter thrive in American culture? Why aren't the wow. games against them <laughs> taken more seriously? Now I ask you this, knowing you're not responsible, but in a way you are. So, what is going on? Um. So what I found really interesting about this whole O'Reilly episode was that after we had reported this, after all, all of these stories came out, O'Reilly gets a huge bump in viewership. That's in what viewership. he said. He said his ratings went up. His ratings actually went up. Um, especially over, in, in recent years, the United States has been an, an incredibly, had a, an incredibly polarized political climate. And... Um, in that climate, people like Donald Trump, who's questioned um, the president's citizenship, um, have thrived. And you know, you've got a lot of people telling people what they want to hear, and that's why O'Reilly has so many, so many viewers. Um, but why don't do we people rise up and? I mean, why are people so susceptible to their wily charms, so to speak? Like, why don't more people reject them after they've been found out for being liars and? charlatans and all that sort of stuff. Well, it's interesting. It's not just a, it's a, this isn't just on the right, it's on the left yeah. too. And you know, you have Fox News, you have MSNBC. Um, and so I think you really have news being, coming from more and more biased sources. And of course I work for Mother Jones, which is a left-leaning publication. Um, but you know, we always go out of our way to, we, you know, we've got our institutional perspective, but we always go out of our way to you know, tell the truth and tell factual stories. Which is good. Which is what you want to do. Why is that? Anyway, I know that you can't answer these questions. I don't know why that's such an anomaly, that's all. It's just bizarre to me. Uh, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, the Christian, April 8th, the Christian Science Monitor published an article entitled, How the Koch Brothers and the Super Rich Are Buying Their Way Out of Criticism. And among other things, it reported the following. When, when the Charles Koch Foundation pledges $1.5 million to Florida State University's economics department, it stipulates that a Koch-appointed advisory committee will select professors and undertake annual evaluations. 
Yeah, this is real. The Koch brothers now fund 350 programs at over 250 colleges and universities across America. You can bet that funding doesn't underwrite research on inequality and environmental justice. <laughs> David Koch's $23 million of donations to public television earned him positions on the boards of two prominent public broadcasting stations. It also guaranteed that the documentary critical of the Kochs didn't air. The premise of the piece is that all these nonprofits and educational institutions are so cash-strapped that they will take money from literally anybody at any cost. And I'm curious, are the Koch brothers the leaders of this economic tyranny? Because it's ridiculous. All I've heard for like the last 10 years is these Koch brothers. I don't know anything about it. I, can't, I haven't, unfortunately, I just got your book, so I'm going to read it and figure this out. But I've read a lot about them. What, what is, why? Who are the, why can they do this? So let me, let me I'm going to take this in stages. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I, it's a lot of information. Um, but I just, this was the article and it just came out and I. So, so first, I don't think they've actually bought them, sorry. bought their way out of, right I don't think chin. they've bought, I don't think they've bought their way out of criticism um, because, you know, they've been sort of politically toxic for, for a number of years. Um, you know, David Koch can't even go to the theater in New York without getting, you know, booed and hissed there. So still probably for, gets for free him, popcorn, I bet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, but the but the point about the universities in, is an interesting one. But it's you know I, I view it in a little bit of a different way. This is part of their long-term strategy to change the political culture in the United States, and they've done that through f funding think tanks, funding advocacy groups. Um, but Charles Koch is all about funding the next generation of thought leaders, mm -hmm. um, and those are at university, universities. So this is very much part of their strategy to create programs in Austrian economics, free market uh, economics at universities across the country. Now, why are universities taking this money? Um, you know, I, I'm sure there, there are some universities that aren't, but I haven't seen many colleges turn down, you know, $1.5 million endowment um, the real question is why universities are ceding control over their hiring decisions. Um, but the answer is money. The answer is money. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the PBS, uh, in terms of David Koch and PBS, PBS actually did air uh, an, a documentary that was very critical of him. And after that, he decided to resign from the board of um, WNET in New York, which is his prerogative. Um, one of the things that he's funded for many years is the series, the science series, Nova. So, um, but the one kind of contradiction here is that David Koch believes that uh, PBS should not get public funding, and you know, yet he's a su major supporter of this this um, institution. Okay, uh, it's just why didn't they? I, when I heard about all the energy and resources they were putting into Romney's campaigns and the Republican campaigns generally. Why didn't they beat Obama? Why didn't they win that election? I don't understand. It, it's sort of, it, it, in that race, it became a nuclear arms race money-wise. And so a lot of the negative ads just canceled themselves out. The Obama campaign also did something kind of smart in that they went after Americans for Prosperity, which is the Koch brothers flagship advocacy group early right. and basically tied them to the Kochs. So, you know, I had people on the Obama campaign tell me, like, look, you know, we wanted every time somebody heard an, an Americans for Prosperity ad, you, you, you knew that, that there were two oil billionaires lurking behind it. Right. 
Okay, so they, so they were strategy. <clears throat> there was it was it was strategic. Street strategy beat money in that instance. Okay, do you watch uh, House of Cards? Yes. <laughs> what do you make of that? <laughs> Don't cheer for the show. No, it's fine. I brought it up. No, you can cheer for the show. What do you make of uh, House of Cards? Because uh, everyone says, well, actually, there's a split opinion about what we're really learning about actual Washington from this show, where the bisexual president pushes people in front of trains. Are, is that what your country is really like? So let's, what you're really asking me is how many people I've pushed in front of trains. Yes. No. 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 What, is this show telling us anything really? You're a Washington guy. Um, I love House of Cards. I, I'm not caught up on um, the full season, the last season with, with pushing people in front of trains. I mean, Sorry, it's a, spoiler alert. Spoiler um, alert. Um, Someone gets pushed in front of the train. <laughs> It, it, it's obviously a bit of ca uh, caricature. That said, um, Washington is very much a snake pit of ambition. And you do have these stereotypical people um, who live in and, and work there. Um, the, the scandals m may not be of the sort of cinematic magnitude of House of Cards, but you have you know, Il Illinois Congressman Aaron Schock who, you know, gets his office made over to look like Downton Abbey and is sort of using campaign contribution, you know, it's... This is true, like that's a true fact. True fact. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, so it's a weird place, basically. It's very How's, weird. The whole point of House of Cards is, Washington's kind of a weird place. And I, you're saying, yeah, it is kind of, kind of strange. It is. <laughs> okay, that's it in a nutshell. We are running out of time because Lee Reed has to go to Hamilton to play his record release show. But I uh, want to say uh, very quickly, or actually, I want to ask you very quickly, what's your reading of the upcoming American presidential election? Can you briefly tell us? Like, we hear that Hillary is going to announce via a video on Sunday or something. Yes, it's, it's interesting how every, all these campaigns are announcing that they're going to announce their announcement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we're in that season right now. I think you're going to have an interest. Do you know how long a Canadian election cycle is? How long? It's like eight days. I mean, they're just like, we're going to uh, have an election next week. Sorry. That's what they say. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We're going to have an election in eight days. Sorry. That's what they say. And then we have it, and we're like, oh, that sucked. That election sucked. <laughs> Fuck. And then they have another one, and we're not happy as well. That's how it works in Canada. I just wanted you to know what we're like. But you, your country, it's like, yeah, an announcement for an announcement. It's... And then another 18 months of you know pre presidential, nonstop presidential election coverage. That's yeah. what that's what it's going to be. Um, my reading is on the Democratic side. Hillary Clinton's most likely going to be the. I mean, the Democratic bench is is not very deep right now. On the Republican side, you do have a lot of strong candidates. Um, I think a lot of people are predicting the sort of dynasty versus dynasty, Bush v. Clinton. Um, uh, right, election. Right. But the thing is, you know, there's a lot of conservatives who are who don't like Jeb Bush at all, who really don't think he's very conservative, um, and their candidate is might be more of a Rand Paul yeah. type or Marco Rubio. So it'll be interesting to see I how that Rubio's plays out. Done. You think he's done? Yeah, we don't have time to talk about this, but I don't think he's gonna. No. Well, okay, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. You know, what would be funny is if on Hill on Sunday instead of Hillary Clinton dropping a video about her announcement, it's just the new Kanye West album. <laughs> Just like, secret drop, like we're just like, oh, it's the Kanye West album. This is actually better, great. That that's would what's be gonna happen. I think that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be on YouTube. 
Uh, once again, Dan Schulman's book is right here. It's called Sons of Wichita, How the Koch Brothers Became America's Most Powerful and Private Dynasty. It will be available uh, in paperback via Grand Central Publishing, I believe, in May. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Daniel Schulman. Uh, how about another hand for Dan Schulman, everybody? Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Okay, as I say, when we return, a, a very special performance by Lee Reed. Stay where you are. Thank you, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. We are back at Long Night, ladies and gentlemen. Our next guest is a gifted and politically outspoken hip-hop artist from Hamilton, Ontario, who once fronted the amazing group Warsaw Pack. He has just released his brand new album, The Butcher, The Banker, The Bitumen Tanker, and he's here to play a song from it. Please put your hands together for Lee Reed. Thank you. So good. Yeah. One, two, one, two. Yeah. This microphone kill fascists. It lit that match that don't build off their ashes. Rap to soundtrack, the class clashes. Ripping the fabric of NASDAQ averages. Yes, microphone cause damages to white advantage in so-called Canada. Black the banner, mic like a cannon. Sights at Bremen, then fire on a management. This is my microphone. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Yeah, my microphone will go AWOL on the Army, Air Forces, and Naval. Top floor for board tables, same over. Total colonial control, a holes and O. My microphone so painful for shameful base street player bankroll. Photo pose with the charity thankful mics at the banquet, ready to tango. Go, go, microphone go commando. Pros my ammo, roll with the vandal man. Pose the threat to white Anglo mantle. Mic like hammer hit for right blammo, man, man. Microphone so adamant, tone so mad at them. Spit shot shatter, talk shit that rattle them. Strong stratagem, bomb scatter the mic on battle them. This is my microphone. There are many like it, but this one is mine. Yeah, 
My microphone is a feministic flow The venom in men's rights membership Upsetless letters to the editor My pen's unfettered Mics of vendetta shit, shit My microphone is a weapon Form of a question is born of oppressors Like boards and senators Banks and creditors Men a letter and stock and investor Market gesture, I spark unrest Talk to block party rock for the oppressed Mike projects it for the boycott divest Your boy got no rest, just destroys and wrecks it Shit, stomp your prison complex and Storm they nest, score they war chess And block they test for toxic pipe mess Mike talk blessed and inspire resistance This is my microphone There are many like it this one is mine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Spurfest. Thank you, Vish. Lee Reed, everybody. Lee Reed, make some noise. That was this microphone from this record, which is available for sale tonight. It is called The Butcher, The Banker, The Bitumen Tanker, and you can get it at the merch table or see Lee directly. Lee Reed came from Hamilton. Tonight, he's celebrating the release of this record. What time are you on tonight? I pr probably not till about 12.30, so... Yeah. Oh, you'll be fine. We'll be fine. All right, thank you for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. We did it. We did the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks to all our guests and the Long Night Crew, the Spur Festival. If you like, you can follow me on Twitter, at Vishkana, and my podcast, which all of you are on, actually. How about a hand for you? You're on the show. At Vish Creative is the uh, podcast Twitter. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.